Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, it's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, it is for freedom that he has set us free. Isn't that an unbelievable thing? I I say that and you all are like, "Uh uh-huh. But listen to what those words say. It is for freedom that you have been set free. He has not set us free to bind us to bondage. He simply set us free to be free. I mean, that's incredible. And this morning, as we enter into the next portion of this extraordinary letter we are in, the letter of Romans, what we are going to experience is another grand display of the extent of our freedom in Christ. So buckle up because this gets to be amazing. It really, really does. So in the book of Romans so far, chapters 1 through 5, which we have now gotten through, now we have watched God through Paul uh, just display to us in extraordinary wonder the magnitude of His grace. This, This unbelievable active rescue of our souls when really in every way we were both undeserving of it and incapable of being any part of its effect. So we were helpless, we were undeserving, and God enters our story and puts on our table the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, and through His work, we have the opportunity by His grace to experience freedom from the virus of sin and its effect, death. And so that's been amazing. And then over the last two chapters, chapter 4 and 5, He has begun to unpack the implications of all of this, how it functions, why it had to work, what it means for us, who we are, who He is, how all this plays out, and what our uh, fruit is of this extraordinary grace. So, in this unpacking, the audience to which he is speaking in many ways, because he's traveled through the known world of that time, he's dealt with Jewish people, he's dealt with Gentile people, non-Jewish people, so he has heard all the arguments back when he presents the magnitude of grace and the beauty of the redemptive story of God, and, and one of the arguments has been, hold on, this grace can't be real. It can't be right, because if it is real and right, it would cause people to keep sinning. That that was the argument. And you go, hold on, what do you mean? Because essentially Paul is saying, you do nothing to earn God's favor. Nothing. You do nothing to make yourself better so God will like you more. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because He's God. He loves you despite your insanity. And so you're like, hold on, you can't tell people that. If you tell people that, they're going to keep living in their sin. They're going to keep sinning. And then then the other argument that kind of came up when Paul was uh, extending this extraordinary wonder of grace is this, hold on. So what you're saying, if I get this right, Paul, is that Uh, We have this viral reality of sin in us, and and we are behaving uh, badly, and then the law came, and what the law did, because it was the picture of righteousness, is it just revealed the depths of our sin. 
But what you're saying, Paul, if you're saying it correctly, is that the more the law revealed the depths of our sin, the more the Word of God revealed the magnitude of His grace, right? So where sin abounds, in other words, where we gain greater clarity of our depth of sin, there too grace abounds. And so they would say this, Paul 1, if you tell people that this is real grace, everyone will keep sinning because you basically say, it's not you, it's God, he's got this. And number two, you're essentially telling people that the more they sin, the more grace abounds. And so it would make sense, not only would you keep sinning, but you should keep sinning because you would only extend the greatness of grace. So you see how they're saying, this can't be real because it doesn't functionally help people not sin. And Paul is going to answer that question for us now, going, I understand how the magnitude of this grace might at first lead you to those conclusions, but it's because you do not yet understand the incredible impact of this grace and what it is actually doing, and when it actually does its work, who we actually become, and how that actually changes everything. So you're like, wow, okay, Paul, what on earth are you about to tell us? Where are you going to go with this? So let's take a look. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles with you, Romans chapter 6, page 1043, 1043. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, otherwise, smart device or your own Bible, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So there's the context we're in. Here's what Paul says now, inspired by the Holy Spirit. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, exclamation mark. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, now, this is some fascinating stuff because there are a couple of key words here that you may not catch at first reading, but they make all the difference in the world. Paul is setting something up for us to show us what this extraordinary grace from God has done and how the doing of that grace changes everything in the way that we're going to live our lives, okay? So here's what he just said. He said, should we therefore continue in sin? Now, the word in there is an odd word, isn't it? It doesn't seem to make that big of a difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. You would usually say, should we therefore continue to sin? You with me? You, should you continue to sin? If you, by all means, nobody says, should you continue in sin? The in sin changes it from a behavioral reality, should you continue to sin, to a reality of position. Should you continue to live inside the position of sin? Because what Paul is going to do is demonstrate to us that when grace came to us and we were rescued, it was not a behavioral change that it was hoping to affect. It was a positional change moving us from one thing to another. And so you have to understand we're not asking should you keep sinning. We're asking should you continue to live in the reality, the world, the domain, the dominion of what is sinful. And he says, by all means, no. Why does he say this? Because we have died to sin. Why would we still live in it? You see, he's saying, we once belonged to, lived in, were part of the dominion of sin, but we have now died to that, and we are not in it, so why would we keep living in it? 
What is Paul trying to do here? Uh, you guys remember this? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. What is that from? Tale of Two Cities. That's right. Tale of Two Cities. So all of you guys that have been out of school for the last two decades, you're like, oh yeah, I think they made me read that stupid book. So here's the deal, right? Tale of Two Cities. If you were to take the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, and you wanted to boil it down to some basic statements, one of the statements you could make about the whole story of God is that it is a tale of two kingdoms. That is what it is. It is a tale of two kingdoms. It is not a tale of behavior. It is not a tale of conformity. It is the tale of two kingdoms. And everything God is revealing to us is that there are two kingdoms and we are either in one or we are in the other, meaning that we either belong to one or we belong to the other. And as you read the book of Romans, as you read the Old and New Testament as a whole, there are things about these kingdoms that are revealed to us so that we can recognize the difference between the kingdoms. I want to give you a quick visual of, uh, of some of what Scripture reveals about these kingdoms, okay? So the first kingdom that we know is revealed in Scripture is the kingdom of this world, okay? It's the one we live in. It's not just planet Earth. It's all that is uh, the created uh, world that is affected by sin and death, okay? And then the other kingdom that is revealed is the kingdom of heaven, okay? So hence the two cities, the two kingdoms. These are the two worlds in which we know things exist. The kingdom of this world has a capital in Scripture, it is the capital Babylon. Now, Babylon was an actual place, obviously, uh, during history, but Babylon has now transcended a specific ge geography and a specific generation, and it has become the terminology used whenever we're talking about the kingdom of this world. So, in Scripture, Rome was called Babylon, even though it's not Babylon, because it's like any time a culture, a space represents the philosophies of this world, uh, it is referred to as the, 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 the Babylon space, okay? And the capital of the kingdom of heaven is Jerusalem, again, not a geographical uh, space as much as an idea. The word Jerusalem literally means uh, peace, and so it is the city of peace, and so we have this distinct uh, capital of the world of heaven or the kingdom of heaven. Then there are two things that mark each of these kingdoms away, if you will. The way of the kingdom of this world is sin. It is the ruler of this world. It is what stands. It is the power that dictates this world. It is what you are enslaved to if you are in this world. It's not a behavior. It's a force, okay? It is a way. It is destructive. It is after us, and it wants us dead, and it has power, then, uh, in this world of heaven, you have the force of grace. Grace represents this one, an undeserved rescue by the realities and powers that be in this kingdom, okay? This is not works versus sin. It is the power of sin affecting death to the power of grace affecting life. And that, then, we are told, has two patriarchs, two 
two people that represent each kingdom. In this kingdom, it is represented by Adam, the first human that rebelled against God and affected the viral reality of sin in all of humanity. And Adam represents this kingdom uh, as an idea, as a person. And the person that stands in contrast to Adam in this kingdom is Jesus. Adam brought us sin and death. Jesus brought us life and freedom, right? Then, in this kingdom, the people of this kingdom stand condemned. This is their reality, condemned because of the realities of this world. Enslaved to sin under Adam uh, with the capital of Babylon representing the philosophies of this world and it leaves this world condemned. The reality of this world is righteous. When you belong to this world, you are not condemned. You are righteous, all right? This is a belonging statement. This is not a behavioral statement. This is a reality of, 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 of a position, not a reality of behavior, though it does affect the way we behave, okay? And then this kingdom is represented uh, under condemnation by darkness, This is the word used for this kingdom, and this kingdom is represented by light, clarity, beauty, wonder. And this kingdom, ultimately, its end, its destiny is death and destruction, and you can guess it, this kingdom, its end, its destiny, its beauty is life. Okay, so, (laughs) which kingdom do you want in on? Right? I mean, you kind of look at it and you're like, which one do you want to play into the, the kingdom of this world whose capital is Babylon and uh, enslaved by sin because of Adam, condemned for the future, living in darkness and ultimately experiencing death, or the kingdom of heaven whose capital is peace by grace through Jesus, making us righteous, giving us light, and ending us in life, right? Hello! Hello! Right? So what Paul is saying here in the beginning is he's saying, listen, as we step into this uh, answering of the question, if grace expands this much, would I not just keep sinning because I would expand grace or because I'm free to sin? And, and he goes, I, 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 I don't understand the question. Like the question's idiocy in of itself. Now that I belong to the kingdom of light, should I keep living in death? Have you, have you ever had a car that the AC broke in Florida? You're like, oh, oh, the kingdom of death, the kingdom of death. Yes, yes. What, what Paul is kind of trying to say here is this. If you had an old car and, and, and the, the, the entry worked by one of those things we used to call keys, remember those? Where you stuck them in and you turned it and then think it popped up and then you open the door and then you get in and you push it into a little slot and you turn it again. Some of you still use those, right? Um, but then they, they, they started using keys with the little button, right? Ding, 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 and it unlocked and locked, right? That was super cool. And now they have keyless starting cars. The key stays in the pocket. Then you just be a, touch the door, and then you get in and you like touch a button, and it's awesome. They have cars now that as you walk, toward them, they unlock and the car starts and the AC starts blowing. You're like, oh, so can you imagine you live in a little car, the AC is broken, the keyless entry doesn't work so well, so you have to wiggle it a certain way, you get in and push it in, and as you pull the starter, you have to hold two wires together and get a small shock as you start it, and then one day, you go to a place 
and you purchase a brand new car, right? It has a keyless entry, the keyless start. Uh, it's beautiful. It has AC that works incredibly well. It has this thing called cruise control. They show you the whole car. And I bump into you six weeks later and I go, how's the new car? And you go, this stupid key is so awkward. You've got to like push a button on the key to pull the key out. And then you stick it in the door. And I don't know where to stick it in the door, but I found this spot. And so I've been prying the door open because it doesn't. Then when you get in the car, like the key that you stick the key in is at the bottom of the dash. Because if the, the button doesn't work, there's a special place you can turn. And, and, and you're sweating. And I go, why are you sweating? And you're like, well, it's hot. It's hot. When you drive, the car gets super hot. And you're like, don't you use the AC? They showed me that at the dealership, but I don't remember what button to push. And so, but uh, you know, my old car didn't have it. And so I'm fine. I mean, would you, would you start going, are you an idiot? <laughs> I mean, you'd kind of have that feeling, wouldn't you? And then what would you feel compelled to do? I, I got to show you some stuff. It's going to be mind blowing. Number one, leave the key in your pocket. You don't have to pull the little thing. They made it complex because you're not supposed to use it that way. It's only for emergencies. Leave it in the pocket. Watch this. You touch the handle, it unlocks. And you're like, what? And then you get in, you show them the AC, the, the, the start, the cruise control. And six weeks later, you bump into them again and they're hot and sweaty and they're frustrated about the key. And you're like, I don't understand. That's what Paul's trying to say. I don't understand. How are you asking me, uh, well, if the car's so awesome, why should I use the AC? Because it's there, and you have a new one, and it's awesome. This is crazy. So look, look at what Paul's going to do next, right? Look at how he's going to unpack this next as he says, I'm, I'm trying to explain. Look at verse uh, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. See, there he's saying, don't you understand? You live in a new car now. So when, I don't understand how you're asking me whether you should or should not uh, use the wonder of this car or the old car. What, what happened to you when you encountered the gospel and, and, and God rescued your soul is that you were made new, resurrected into newness, transferred from one domain to the other, one dominion to the other. Everything has changed. Everything is different. And so you do not belong anymore. Why would you live in the kingdom of sin when you are now part of the kingdom of righteousness. And so he's saying, do you see in baptism, this outward expression of baptism was the outward display of what internally happened. He's not suggesting we're saved through baptism. All he's saying is, he's using an outward expression. You, you guys remember when you got baptized? You remember what was happening there? You went in the pool and you went down and you came up and into death and out into life and all that outward representation of what happened internally, that should remind you that you were baptized into the kingdom of Jesus. And now you belong to that kingdom. You belong. There, there's a number of scriptures that, that help us understand this, but before we go there, listen to how he unpacks this in Romans chapter 6, the rest. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That was a lot of words to say a simple thing. Jesus conquered this entire world of, of, of Babylon, sin, Adam, condemnation, darkness, and death. And he has, has, has and is living for this world, in this world. And he has become your way to transfer from this one to this one. So if you are in Christ, if he died to rescue you, how much more now that he lives, will he not live for you and with you? It's coming back to what he said earlier in Romans. If while you hated God, he gave himself for you, how much more now that you are his child, will he not preserve you? See, Paul is, is saying, don't you get it? You are no longer what you once were. You are now a new creation. Speaking of new creation, this is expanded in other places in Scripture. I want you just to listen to a couple that will help you kind of grasp, I think, what Paul is desperately trying to say. Please, don't you get it? Don't you get how stupid the question is, should I keep sinning since grace is so awesome? Because how could that be considering what's happened? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to what he writes here. This is so cool. Second Corinthians, that's 1 Corinthians, that's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen, verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This word for creation is bara, it's a Hebrew word. And it's the same word used in Genesis chapter 1 when it said that God spoke and bara, Right? He created. The word bara literally means to bring something out of nothing. To take something that is nothing and to make something utterly new. It is not the making better of. It is the old is gone, new is here. It is the whole new thing. This is not getting the AC fixed. This is the brand new car. You with me? And so here's what he's saying is when you're in Christ, do you understand God didn't make you better? He made you new. The old is utterly gone. Why does he say that? Because all of our behaviors have changed. No, we'll get to that in a second. What you and I belonged to, ta-da, is now gone. And what we belong to now, ta-da, heaven and the kingdom of heaven is now ours. And so he's going, look, if, if Jesus died to, to, to the kingdom of the world and lives in the kingdom of heaven and we are in Christ, no longer in Adam, then we are the kingdom of heaven, the children of God, not the kingdom of the world, the children of Adam. So, so are, you getting, are you getting where we're going with this? Now, now watch this, okay? Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Listen to how he continues to expand this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Here it is. He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a total move. We belong to the kingdom of heaven now, not the kingdom of this world, though we still temporarily live in the kingdom of the world for purposes that are awesome we'll get to later, right? Listen to this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, but our citizenship, that's a belonging, in case you don't know that word, belonging, is in heaven now. He's not talking about a future reality. He's talking about a present tense If you're in Christ, then your citizenship is in heaven. That's why he will say, oftentimes we are sojourners or strangers on this planet. Not because we don't know the planet well, but because we no longer have citizenship here. We are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under sin. We are no longer condemned. We no longer live in darkness. And we no longer have a destiny of death. We are now citizens of the kingdom of grace under Jesus, righteous in his sight, uh, full of light and life carriers of the gospel. And so it's an unbelievable thing. And then my favorite, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, which we'll get to later this year. Listen to this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We belong to the kingdom of God. That's what Paul's trying to say. We belong to the kingdom of God. So if we belong to the kingdom of God, if we are not in sin any longer, then why the question about should I keep behaving as though I belong to the kingdom of sin? The implications to this belonging to the kingdom of heaven are dramatic. Now take a look. Now begins the answer to that question. If grace is this extraordinary, will people not keep sinning? And Paul would say, by all means, no, because people will understand who they are now. Look at this. Implications. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign. See, this is the big therefore. Since you know who you are now, do not tolerate the reality that you just let sin reign. You just kind of release yourself and you just dabble in and you just jump into sin since grace is awesome and Jesus set you free anyways. You can now live foolishly. That's an insanity, right? Do not let yourself, therefore, live in a space where sin reigns in your mortal body. So, We'll get to this later. Our battle, our war is between the soul that has been rescued and the body that we still live in. We are in the uh, world, the tension between the here and now and the will be, okay? The will be is our position. The here and now is our reality. And there is a reality that is going on between two worlds and the world of our flesh is still distractible, okay? And we'll get to that in a second. Take a look at this. To make your... Uh, to make you obey its passions. So we know that there are passions in the flesh that are going to uh, push against us. Do not therefore let them reign. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, now this is so cool, present yourself to God. See, this is again not a behavior. Do you notice that? It's not saying stop doing these 54 things and do these other things for God. It's saying this, do not give yourself 
to the realities of sin, but give yourself to God. This is a relational dynamic of abiding, not a behavioral dynamic of doing. Now watch this, watch this. As those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This is not saying you will not struggle with sin. See, the the deadly uh, misinterpretation here is that if you still struggle with sin, then you must not belong to the kingdom of God. But that's not what it means that sin will no longer have dominion over you. What it means is that sin that affects condemnation, that brings darkness, that results in death will no longer be your story. What happens here no longer results in this, death. But now, despite sin, because of grace in Christ, righteousness reigns, light will be your future, and life is yours. The dominion of sin, which is death, will no longer reign over you. Wow! I'm like, what? That's amazing! I'm blown away! And, And yet we war, right? Yet we war. So what is he saying here? In Romans 6, 12 through 14, he's saying, look, your job is to recognize who you are in Christ from now on. Don't forget that. The entire scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is about us remembering the gospel, us remembering the redemptive story of God. Because what are we? We are forgetful beings, right? The day gets in our way and we're forgetful. Why are we forgetful? Hebrews chapter 12 says we have an enemy who is against us uh, and we have a fleshly body we live in full of passions that are against the kingdom of heaven and for the kingdom of earth. And we live on a planet with other humans that are distractible, distracting, and also affect things in us because they live in bodies that are for this kingdom and not this one and have an enemy against them too, right? So because of that, we will be distracted. The enemy puts weightiness on us. He entangles us with things. He allows our idols uh, to be tempted and drawn, which then affects sin and foolish behavior that we then behave in. And so all these things are a reality you and I will face every day. So what he is saying here is that since you know that you are going to face a world and a body that is constantly affecting a move toward this kingdom in terms of behavior versus this one, you need to participate in the fight. Now, here's what's awesome. Here's how you participate in the fight. Not by mustering up good behavior. I will not sin. It's by making sure you never forget who you are. And you never forget what he's done. So we must remember. We must engage uh, in the table of communion, uh, in, the, in the preaching of the gospel to each other, in the preaching of the gospel to ourselves, in the constant disciplines of the faith that allow us to be in spaces of remembrance. We must tell ourselves every day, who are you? Who do you belong to? What kingdom are you part of? Stop behaving as though you don't, right? And we must do that. Second of all, we must abide. Present yourself not to the world of sin, but to the world of God, and not to sin, but but to God himself. We have been given the gift of the disciplines of the faith, what we call the works of intimacy or the rhythms of grace here. 
They are the things like silence and solitude and meditation and study and memorization and fasting and prayer and many others. We do them here regularly. And if you and I are not participating in the works of intimacy, then we are saying, I do not need to abide with the one who reigns in this kingdom because I got it covered. I'm good. I can stand against sin and death like a pro. That ain't going to happen. And so he says, look, the point isn't to try to behave rightly. The point is to abide well. Do you see why we say that the disciplines of the faith matter, that relationship with God matters? Because you do not have, nor do I, the power within ourselves to overcome the flesh that we live in and the world around us and the enemy who's against us. We only have the privilege through the grace of God to have access to the one who empowers us so that he will help us be who we're meant to be and he will bear his fruit in and through us. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You can't do any of those just like me. You can do them for a while. You try, right? I'm going to be patient. (laughs) But it doesn't work. But yet, what we know is as we abide in the realities of Christ and we live in the remembrance that as we are full of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be these things through us, not us, demonstrating them to God so He likes us more. This is not about behaving. It is about abiding. And then, because God is super awesome and He allows us to participate in the beauty of the work on this planet, He says to us, listen, not only should you, should you remember who I am and who you are and abide with me because I am the power through which the fruit will be born, but you get to participate in the fruit. You see, the thing is both the mission on planet earth as well as the mission internally uh, dealing with our own insanities and our own idols and our own flesh and the enemy distracting us is partly the privilege by which we participate in the work of God. You get to participate in your own sanctification, though he promises to get it done with or without you. I will finish the work I began in you, but you get to work with me. We get to walk into the kitchen with God and deal with ourselves just as we are dealing with the unredeemed spaces on planet earth. And so here we are again told, do not cease participating because you know who you are. And you know what that means? Life. So participate on brothers and sisters while you are remembering and abiding. That's what we get to do. In chapter 7 of the book of Romans, Paul will very authentically speak of his own struggles with sin. And he will say things like this. Why do I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do? And why does it seem that every time I want to engage, he's going to talk about a war between our soul and our flesh. So let me encourage you. When you struggle with sin and fail, it is not because you belong to this world. It is not because you don't know this world. It is because we are at war. But what he's saying is don't give up in the war and resolve yourself to the fact that these addictions, these realities, these sins will have dominion over you in this life because they don't have to. You get in the fight and then you remember and abide And in time, you will see redemption in even the things deep inside of you that are so broken because you already belong to this world. Have you guys ever seen a bald eagle? (laughs) Who doesn't love a bald eagle? That thing's awesome. What are words that come to mind when you think about bald eagle? Majestic, 
American. I mean, yeah, that's majestic too. Uh, big, beautiful, powerful, right? Have you ever watched a bald eagle hunt? Have you, have you ever, you see them around here sometimes, right? I mean, they come in from some great height and they swoosh in as silent as the breeze itself, right? And you watch them. And there's a lake. And you know what's in the lake? There's a fish. And the fish is swimming along. And that bald eagle comes by, and as though it is effortless, as he touches the lake, his little legs just touch the water. And he soars off, and in his claws, he has a fish. Have you ever gone fishing? Doesn't work that way. I mean, I'd like it to, right? Ta-da! It's like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Tick, 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 tick. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Right? Bald eagle, no such thing. Have you ever watched buzzards, vultures? Ew. I just heard it. Ew. I mean, God made them too. I get it, but I'm not quite sure what was going on that day. You know what I'm saying? It didn't go so well for the buzzards, right? They're ugly. You know how they hunt? They circle some space where it looks like something's going to die. They're like, that thing looks weak. Eh. Are we going to attack? No, no. Why swish? No, 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 no. We wait till some car hits it. And then we let it rot on the road for three days to make sure it's dead because we don't want to get in the fight. And then we land and we, and we circle around. All our friends come to the roadside cafe and we tear into its flesh separating it from all the horrible decay that has begun to happen. I mean, you drive by and you're like, ah! (laughs) On occasion, on occasion, you will see this happen. You will see a carcass on the side of the road with a bunch of buzzards around it. And in the middle of the buzzards, you will see sitting there eating off that carcass, what? A bald eagle. It's happened on occasion. When you drive by a space like that, what goes on inside of you? What do you feel like doing? I I tell you what I feel like doing. Pulling over, getting out of the car, walking up to that bald eagle and going, what on earth are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Do you know what you are? Do you know what you represent? Do you know what you have in those claws of yours? I mean, you are the swish. You are the majestic. You are the go over the lake. There's, a, there's like 50 trillion lakes around Florida with trillions of fish because the humans can't catch them. So you just go and you swish. How dare you sit here with the buzzards and chew on a carcass of death? Don't you just feel like that's all wrong? It is all wrong because bald eagles shouldn't be sitting with buzzards eating carcasses of death. But on occasion, they forget themselves and they do that because it's easy food. Now, here's the two things I think Paul's trying to tell us. You're a bald eagle now. Stop behaving like a buzzard. That's the first thing he's trying to tell us. You're a bald eagle now given power by the Holy Spirit Stop behaving like a buzzard and sitting around in the cesspool of sin, letting it do its thing. If you're struggling with sin, fine, we are at war, but fight. 
Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because you belong to a kingdom of life and you don't have to reign in that anymore. So don't get discouraged because it's been a year or two or three or five that you're wrestled with realities of sin in you. That's okay. It might be the whole rest of your life. God doesn't care that you're struggling. What we don't want to do is bail and just resolve ourselves to the fact that we cannot overcome, so why bother trying? Thankfully, we're saved. No! Stop behaving like a buzzard. And here is the best part. I told you at the beginning of this, it is for freedom that he has set us free, right? Now listen now, listen now. When you sit among the buzzards and behave like a buzzard, does that make you a buzzard? No. You're still a bald eagle. So you don't drive by and go, huh, that bald eagle looks just like a buzzard now. No, you stop and you're like, what are you doing? Because it doesn't change what you are. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change what you've done because you didn't become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because you behaved well. You became a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because Jesus is a gracious savior who rescued you. And so I don't care if you wallow in your sin. You still remain free. So what Paul's saying is, yes, yes, grace is that big. Yes, you can live with the buzzards and you'll still be a bald eagle. But what on earth would you be doing? Why? Why? See, our freedom is that because of who we are now, we get to stand against the sin in our lives and the sin of the world and say, watch me. I soar now like an eagle. I am majestic in Christ and I can forgive like nobody's business. I can see patience born because I abide in the Spirit. I fix my eyes on Jesus and set my mind on things above. I remember who I am. And when I don't and I wallow in my addictions or my sins or my idols or my brokenness, though for a short time I behave like a buzzard, I will never forget that that doesn't make me a buzzard because I belong to the kingdom of God. Welcome to Romans chapter six. Welcome to freedom. Let's pray. God, you are too good. You really are. That you would have transferred us from the dominion of death to the, to the dominion of life, the kingdom of, of your son, without us needing to affect or do anything whatsoever uh, to earn it or deserve it that you would have set us free and that we are now free indeed, so free in fact that when we behave like a buzzard that that doesn't change who we are. And yet in the beauty of our transfer, would you fix our eyes on things above and set our eyes on you, Jesus, so that instead of wallowing in the world of the buzzards, that we might soar like eagles and live in righteousness because we are enabled to do so, because we are adopted as sons and daughters, transferred from kingdom of death to kingdom of life, set to freedom, bound to a destiny of light, belonging to you, baptized into your death, and risen into your life. Propel us into the works of intimacy, the, the disciplines of the faith, draw us into greater intimacy with you, set us on a path of remembering every day 
and then birth through us by the power of your Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, that we might conquer sin not only in our future where it will have no dominion over us, but even in our present where we can choose dominion over it. Where we struggle and war and fail, remind us that we belong to you, to you. And that what draws us back out of sin is not the consequences of sin, but the beauty of remembering that we're not a buzzard, we're an eagle, and we ought to fly like one. Send us, God, into our day in the pursuit of righteousness for your name's sake, because we get to. And help us to live in that freedom because you are bigger than we could have ever asked for or imagined. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.